Hey there, I'm Amy Walter, co-host of The Takeaway. In the Politics Brief podcast, you'll hear the best segments from all the different WNYC shows covering the 2018 elections. It's the sharpest, most timely talk, analysis, and original reporting from shows like On the Media, The Brian Lehrer Show, and of course, The Takeaway. Also, from the WNYC newsroom, which is tracking key races in New York and New Jersey. The stakes are high, and we want you to have the information you need. It's what we do. Welcome to Politics Brief from WNYC. From WNYC in New York, this is On the Media. Brooke Gladstone is out this week. I'm Bob Garfield. Every week there are bombshells. This week... There were bombs. At least 10 packages have been sent to people who are frequently singled out by criticism by the president. The FBI has confirmed another package, 11th, found last night in Florida. This is now the 12th package that's been recovered, and it has all of the hallmarks that that are believed to be a serial suspected bomber. An ardent Florida Trump supporter was arrested on charges of mailing pipe bombs to the pantheon of demonized liberals. Obama, George Soros, the Clintons, among them, plus the headquarters of CNN. None of the bombs detonated, but clearly people were very shaken up live on the TV. That means they were explosive devices, and to have projectiles, I mean, that's a, excuse me, that sounds like a fire alarm here. We'll keep you posted on that. Okay, um, we're going to jump in. There's a fire fire alarm alarm here. here. You might have heard it in the background. We're going to find out what the latest is Uh, here at CNN. We're going to be right back. A minute later, CNN anchors Poppy Harlow and Jim Shooto were evacuating CNN's New York headquarters along with hundreds of employees, tourists, and New Yorkers from neighboring buildings. It was chaotic, but once the bomb squads wrapped up, everybody defaulted to their inevitable roles. Donald Trump, after first offering a boilerplate condemnation of political violence, immediately retreated to blaming the obvious culprits. What is the first statement the president makes about this today? It's to attack the media. He says a very big part of the anger we see today in our society is caused by the purposely false and inaccurate reporting of the mainstream media that I refer to as fake news. It has gotten so bad and hateful that this is beyond description. Mainstream media must clean up its act fast. Which blame-shifting rhetoric led to charges that the president himself incited violence with his constant vilification of Democrats in the press. So if you see somebody getting ready to throw a tomato, knock the crap out of him, would you? Seriously. The last few days, he's been calling for hatred toward exactly the groups and individuals that were just targeted. CNN's Chris Cuomo. When he comes out and says we need to be civil, there's no apology needed to say it doesn't ring quite true. In short order, the speculation and accusation were reduced to right versus left. Notably, in an explanation that surprised absolutely no one, the conspiracy crowd, from Rush Limbaugh to Ann Coulter to Gateway Pundit to Lou Dobbs, blamed Democrats for a false flag operation supposedly aimed at discrediting the right in advance of the midterm elections. I will repeat it's a high probability that the whole thing is set up as a false flag to gain sympathy for the Democrats, number one, and number two, to get our minds off the hordes of illegal aliens approaching our southern border. Yes, that is what I'm saying. That was Michael Savage, this from Fox News. This doesn't necessarily mean that someone is espousing some sort of conservative ideology and targeting Democrats. It could be someone who's trying to get the Democratic vote out and incur sympathy. So, you know, it could go either way. And from the right-wing pundit Candace Owens, this now-deleted tweet, quote, these leftists are going all out for midterms. 
Remember when things happened and it was reported about as an event? That was called news. Now we have only points of departure for the discussion of political implications. With November 6th coming and the balance of congressional power at stake, why sweat the facts? There are narratives to compare and electoral advantage to parse. It's been true of the bombs. It was true of Jamal Khashoggi's murder at the hands of our Saudi allies. It's true of the Honduran migrant caravan. As the president prepared to both send troops to the Mexican border and halt the asylum process, the New York Times observed that his posturing was taking place, quote, only days before the midterm elections. More of the same on NBC News. What does the rhetoric that the president is invoking when it comes to this migrant caravan, what types of voters is it going to turn out or even turn? Because we, the media, also default to our assigned role. And we can't resist our impulses either. Yes, at election time, the press seems less like an institution than an amalgamation of our own quirks. A biennial witness to this is Claire Malone of 538, who pours over both the media coverage and the polls themselves. I asked her, apart from seeing all human events through an electoral prism, what other tropes she's noticed this time around. I think that there have been certain states that perhaps have been overcovered in this election or maybe the candidates' odds have been amplified beyond what what we would sort of give them from a, I guess, a statistical look. Politico writes Texas has Beto-mania. Esquire says he could be the next Obama. Vanity Fair calls him Kennedy-esque. It's obviously an interesting election because he has, as a Democrat, garnered a lot of enthusiasm in a deeply red state. And for people looking at the demographics of that state and looking to see people aging into voting whose parents were immigrants, perhaps, I'm thinking of the Latino population in that state, so it's it's interesting for Democrats to see O'Rourke doing well. But honestly, I mean, somewhere like Tennessee, which is another deeply red state, Phil Bredesen, who is running as a Democrat there, is the former governor of the state. And I would say that the Democrats' chances in that state are much better than they are in Texas. So we have a little bit of a natural inclination towards a sexy headline, a telegenic candidate like O'Rourke. I did a piece on him a couple of weeks ago and, you know... <laughs> In my lead, I talked about the number of times he's been compared to a Kennedy. People like assigning stories like that. But then you also have to say, well, let's talk to people about the actual demographics of Texas and whether or not he has as good of a chance as people might be getting the impression that he does. In this, the Me Too era, one of the earliest narratives attached to the midterms was the year of the woman. We're doing a wonderful kind of documentary story about what's now being called the Year of the Women. It's being called a seismic shift, a record number of women running for elected office. There are a total of one, two, three, four, five, six Democratic women in the race. The last time that narrative was so pronounced was in 1992, when, in fact, the number of women in the House increased by double digits. Is this the Year of the Women, plural for Democrats? So what is, in fact, taking place, according to your numbers, in 2018? So there are 238 women running in total, so 186 Democrats and 52 Republicans. Basically, we've, we've determined if every woman who's currently leading in a district were to end up winning, there would be 100 women in the House and 24 in the Senate. And that is an increase from the current count, which is 107 total women in Congress. But I think we also have to note that some of those women will 
lose their races. And so the percentage of women holding seats in Congress might actually not change all that much. On the other hand, a lot of these women who were running in primaries in particular because of this anti-Trump sentiment that was sweeping the country were first-time candidates, right? And what we do know is that the more comfortable that people get within the political system, maybe the more likely they are to do better the next time. So while they might have lost this primary, they might have a better grasp of local donors in their district, who to go to and hire the next time they run a campaign. So while the percentage of women in Congress may or may not shift in 2018, it could have effects in the next couple of election cycles. But I think there's a difference between women running and women actually winning the seats and it being a quote-unquote year of the woman. A handful of special elections that have taken place over the last year has been characterized as a referendum on Trump. Trump. On the fact that he doesn't represent most Americans, that his values don't line up with most Americans. How do you see the numbers on the Trump question so far? In quite a few races, candidates are leaning in, and even if they don't cite Trump's name in their ad, their ads are kind of Trumpy. I got a big truck, just in case I need to round up criminal illegals and take them home myself. They might say, build the wall, or we're going to deport illegals. I'm Brian Kemp. If you want a politically incorrect conservative, that's me. I think the reasons why some of these Republican candidates are perhaps trying to keep an arm's length distance from Trump is because there are certain traditional constituencies that are turned off by the president, say college-educated white women, who might be a sort of poachable entity for Democrats. So the thing that people should keep in mind is is midterm elections, even if the president isn't coming up in every single commercial that you see on TV that's a political ad, voters are inherently thinking about what is going on in the White House in every election, not just with Trump's election. And you react to it and you say, oh, I like this guy and I like his party or I don't like this guy and I don't like his party. And that might influence your vote. Elephant in the room, one might say. Yes. Here's something else one might say. This November election is more important than any midterm in our lifetime. The stakes, they couldn't be... Every single election is portrayed as the most important election of all time. Uh, I will say for the 2018 midterm elections, it really is the most important election of all time. So do your numbers suggest a turnout that reflect the most important election of our lifetimes? You're seeing pretty enthusiastic numbers from people saying, like, yes, I'm very pumped to vote, pumped to turn out. And I think particularly on the Democratic side in certain races, they're hoping that Democratic turnout will kind of push them over the edge in states that are either purple or are red tilting that voted for Trump in the election. So turnout is certainly an important factor in any election, but in midterm elections in particular, because they are typically lower turnout elections. And so these interesting pre-election surveys where we're seeing people be enthusiastic makes us think, oh, this might actually be on both sides of the aisle, a pretty engaged midterm election. The early voting numbers are way up. Collin County, today's number exceeded the 2016 presidential election and shattered the turnout number for the last midterm election. In North Carolina, the first five days saw more votes cast than in 2016. Same thing in Minnesota. The secretary of state there said the level of participation is, quote, off the charts. And this has been widely interpreted as suggesting that there is an you know, ongoing insurgency among Democrats. Is there any 
evidence that the uptick in early voting is good news for Democratic candidates? The very short answer is no. Early voting numbers are something that partisans and political operatives and campaigns really like to cite in the weeks coming up to the election as, look at this groundswell of support that we're seeing. But ultimately, they don't tell us much about who is going to be the ultimate winner of an election. You know, in previous elections, there's always been so much focus on October surprises. Mm -hmm. And this election, just in the last week or so, has offered three such October surprises. The plummeting stock market, the bombs being sent to Mm -hmm. a number of Democrats and the media and other critics of the president, and the caravan, the Central American caravan working its way up through Mexico to the border. Are your numbers showing that these episodes are having any effect on the electorate? Well, we don't have any numbers on the effect that these events have at all. So we can't say. What I would say was probably the October surprise was the Kavanaugh hearing. That is something that left people with lingering strong feelings. You know, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen with these bombing attempts over the next couple of weeks. I'm not sure what's going to happen with the caravan. Those two stories are are really moving ones. and, And we don't have any real data yet to point and say, Ah, yes, this has had an effect. You know, perhaps we will, you know, the week before the election. Trump is certainly trying to use the caravan to Republican advantage, although that's a sort of double-edged sword for him because you might make an already enthused Democratic electorate more enthusiastic by, I guess, baiting them on that issue. And Democrats, we know, have gotten much more liberal on immigration. So I guess the shorter answer is we just don't know how the electorate is reacting to those things. So I I guess one final question. Sure. Does any of this matter? Are there still many minds not made up? And of those minds not made up, are they going to go to the polls in the first place? Do we have any idea of what would happen if the election were today? Well, I would say even in the incredibly partisan year that is 2018, yes, there are still many people whose minds are not made up. There are moderate voters who are perhaps displeased with the current administration and who Democrats and Republicans have to make plays for, either by saying, give the middle finger to the White House or come on home. You know that the Republican Party is where your true views lie. Claire, thank you very much. Of course. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Politics Brief. If you want more, go to wnyc.org slash election.